0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Pedagogic Profile podcast. My name is Kalenrik Sterogreinos and in this episode I'm going to be speaking with Professor Peter Maasen from the Faculty of Educational Sciences at University of Oslo. Our conversation focuses on how COVID-19 has affected higher education both in Norway and internationally. Thank you for being here, Peter Maasen. How, in your opinion, has uh, the COVID-19 pandemic affected uh, both international, but also Norwegian higher education in general? Do you have Mm -hmm. some thoughts about that?
1: Yes, first of all, it's a crisis that is unique. We haven't faced in modern higher education a crisis like this. Mm -hmm. It affects first and foremost international higher education, student mobility of full degree students as around the world, Drop with at least 50 percent, but we are still waiting. How many international students actually show up in the U.S., in the U.K., Australia? So it might be even more dramatic than that. And can you imagine 50 percent reduction? What that means for uh, for the universities that are affected. Um, We also see exchange programs come to a standstill, also unique, uh, since they started uh, more seriously in the 1980s. Uh, Exchange programs have become a very important part of the um, operations of uh, universities around the world, but especially in Europe, no exchange are taking place. Um, So that's a very important uh, uh, international dimension. Research, you can imagine how research is affected no more uh, mobility of staff, no more meetings, seminars. Uh, There's also there a major impact uh, on the the higher education um, when it comes to the international dimension. And overall, there are kind of many reflections now on um, the the situation after the crisis. What does it mean when, for example, student mobility uh, has um, been come to more or less a stop in two, three years? Will we be able to go back to a situation where we have four, five, six million students who take a degree study in another country than their own? So, so this crisis is unique. It has an enormous impact on uh, international education, but also in Norway, um, apart from uh, the fact that the international dimension, because of a lack of tuition fees, etc., is not uh, as severe uh, here, uh, the impact of the, the COVID crisis as in other countries, but also in Norway we see the shift towards online education, um, the uh, worries about the academic staff, about their research work, uh, laboratory work, uh, medical practices. You can imagine that in many respects this crisis uh, affects the higher education to the core, and uh, we're still trying to adapt. I mean, uh, I think that uh, overall also in Norway, but that's, let's say, a global situation, higher education institutions have done extremely well in adapting I mean uh, can you imagine that from one day to another you have to close down your premises but still uh, moving to online education um, keeping students within uh, the community um, dealing with uh, research challenges but The assumption was that it would um, last a short period, a couple of months, then we would be able gradually to go back to normal. But now it seems that it will last longer. We don't know how long. Uh, And especially this international dimension will be affected uh, by the COVID crisis uh, if um, it lasts a couple of years.
0: But do you think the international aspect of higher education is the most affected uh, when it comes to COVID-19? Is that domain, that aspect of higher education that is most affected? Uh, or uh... I would say it
1: is the aspect that is most directly affected. Yeah. If you see that uh, the growing um, interest in, emphasis on um, activities around internationalization, the way that has developed since at least the 1980s, a more formal part of higher education, internationalization strategies, offices, uh, DQ in Norway and, and agencies in other countries, and then certainly no more uh, international mo- mobility because uh, the international students that do begin their studies now in August, September, um, especially um, students from countries where it's difficult to get a visa for another country, uh, many embassies are closed, etc. Um, these students are following uh, education online, and many of these students have said that they expect that it will be for a short period because uh, if it's going to be for a longer period, they're not sure if they're going to stick to um, being enrolled in a, in a foreign university because if you, let's say, if you're from Britain, why would it, would, would it be interesting for you to follow online education uh, in Norway if the same course would also be offered in Britain. Uh, you can say, okay, tuition fee, et cetera. But apart from that, the experience that many international students say is a very important part of the decision to study abroad, the social environment, n- uh, new context, meeting new people, building up international networks. If that falls away, mm. then that has a major impact on how universities have to think about uh, international program offerings, and uh, how they want to continue there. Of course, there's also an impact on, um, on national um, higher education context, online education, what does it mean? Let me give you an example from the U.S. There have been studies now in the spring and throughout summer, and up to 40% of all um, bachelor students in the U.S. in public universities have indicated that they've got mental health problems because of the crisis. Many have a depression, uh, feel isolated. So universities have to invest a lot in, uh, in the support structure there. So that's for national students, not international. Uh, also in Britain, studies have shown that quite a number of students, 20 30% have indicated that they, uh, that they feel that their mental health is affected by the crisis. So it is quite a dramatic um, uh, impact it has on higher education, even though we don't see and hear so much directly about it, but um, <clears throat> the impact is uh, is quite dramatic and will be um, affecting higher education for the coming years, uh, for sure.
0: Yeah, and it is interesting because you have spoken both about uh, the digitalization, how it has been affected by with COVID-19 and uh, also how the social environment and uh, the mental health has been affected. Um, How do you think social interaction, and especially the meeting face-to-face aspect of it, uh, how essential and necessary do you think it is for good learning? Do we miss out something, or could we provide the same learning opportunities just by providing courses in digital formats, Mm -hmm. or do we need uh, actually to have the human contact Mm face-to-face in a classroom, for example?
1: Of course, some forms of education, in higher education, uh, they cannot uh, be offered online. Laboratory work, uh, medical practices, impossible to offer that online. Mm -hmm. Um, You can have some kind of simulations, but but overall within natural sciences, engineering, uh, medical sciences, a large part of certainly advanced education has to be done uh, in a physical environment. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, already uh, a very important element. When it comes to the use of digital technologies, we've seen that over the last decades we gradually uh, have moved forward, but there was a great reluctance in general to move to to a situation where you rely on digital technologies. The COVID-19 crisis has forced us into that uh, arena. So we're now forced to first and foremost think in in digital terms. So how do we um, reach our students when they cannot be Uh, physically present on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, And for that, the experiences of the last decades are are okay, but we we are kind of thrown into the deep water by having to learn what works and what not works, because one of the disadvantages of all the work that's been done uh, in using digital technologies the last decades is that there were no experimental settings, so we hardly knew what works and what didn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're finding out now um, under pressure but to come back to your question, I do think that if you look at the traditional student group of the 18 to 25-year-olds, that the social interaction is extremely important, that that's part of a way of life. I mean, the, one of the reasons that so many students around the world um, have decided to go to college is this way of life. Uh, of course, the preparation for the labor market is key, and it's um, um, uh, it has become more important, um, also in governmental policies recently. But this uh, building up networks, social interaction, uh, group work, etc. Part of it can be um, replaced by um, use of digital technologies. But but a large part of the social interaction is something that students really um, <clears throat> are looking forward to that they're missing. Can you imagine how how can you build a community within a specific academic area in whatever larger discipline. How do you build a community if the students have never met each other, if they are only online within their own uh, bedroom or or, um, office or wherever they are? Um, So I think that um, one thing we learned from the crisis is how to use digital technologies uh, more effectively. Also, when it comes to learning strategies, there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of work being done. But uh, we have to um, refrain from thinking that digital uh, technologies can replace fully um, traditional ways of, of teaching and, and learning. Yeah. That would be a, a major mistake. So in that sense, um, the uh, the... An an example from again from the UK where there was a study um, in July asking all first year students who had applied to higher education and gotten an offer, uh, how many of them were thinking of deferring their studies for at least a year or for a situation after COVID-19 because of the online um, uh, offering of education. And between twenty and twenty-five percent uh, said that they'd already decided to defer their their studies, hmm. while um, um, quite a large part said no, we will start anyhow, and a part was uncertain. But it means that up to twenty-five percent of the students in Britain had decided already to postpone their study hmm. because they prefer the the social interaction uh, setting. Um, again, this doesn't. Um, uh, mean that digital technologies uh, cannot be central in uh, educational um, uh, activities. Uh, they are and they should be. But uh, the social interaction is is a, is a key element of, of higher education for the traditional student group. And I think we will move back in that direction and finding a new balance between online education and uh, traditional ways of uh, of teaching and learning. Uh, once this crisis is is over,
0: what are the prospects for higher education to move back to a more normal situation mm-hmm. from- Yes that's a good question we
1: We don 't know exactly what the new normal will be um, when there will be a vaccine and what that means and um, but we do know that the way in which the higher education governance and funding have developed before the crisis and and the the development started, let's say, in the 1980s um, with Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, and his emphasis on new public management. There was a growing uh, kind of acceptance around the world that higher education would function better if a larger part of the income would be derived from competition or through competition, tuition fees, uh, um, industry income, uh, competitive income even from government and that has led to um, to some countries really going very far in that direction, like the US, uh, the UK, uh, Australia, where the basic uh, grant from the government covered maybe 20% of the annual budget of the universities. While in Norway and in other parts of the world, we've, we've kept to our tradition of, of funding higher education uh, um, publicly, where the basic grant covers a large part, more than 60% of the annual income, of the annual budget of the university. So what we see is that this mantra, universities and societies are better off if we have a more competitive environment in which universities operate, less dependent on government, more direct interaction with society, that mantra now uh, has faced a huge kind of challenge because those universities that have gone and those countries that have gone farthest in that direction, their universities are in general in deep trouble. The filthy rich universities, if I may use that word, like um, the ones in the U.S. with the large endowments, uh, Oxford, Cambridge, they can handle this. They can deal with this and they can, let's say, to a large extent, continue their activities and then move back to whatever the new normal is. And also in countries like Norway and, and other Nordic European countries, East Asia, where the government was funding higher education, they're doing well. Many universities in, in, in countries where they have become dependent on international students, on tuition fees, on competitive income, are not doing well. There has been various reports in in the UK, especially in England, which suggest that a number of universities, the last figure I read was 13, uh, are on the edge of bankruptcy. And the question is now, uh, are we just letting them die? Should we support them? Um, The same in in the US, where you see the impact on the financial situation of universities and the panic in some institutions. Australia, uh, absolutely uh, the same dependence on... Uh, tuition fee income has gone so far that uh, now that the tuition fee income of international students is threatened, panic so I think the new normal will mean that we have a new get a new global higher education landscape with the pri- mainly private top universities from the u s still <clears throat> dominating the global uh, landscape um, The top universities from Britain probably will be able to survive, but they will also be affected by another crisis, that's Brexit. Uh, The northern European universities, the Nordic countries, including Norway, the Netherlands, Switzerland, um, Germany maybe, they're doing well. The Chinese, uh, Singaporean, uh, Korean, maybe Japanese universities. But the British uh, regular ones, the Australian, the public American universities, they are facing a huge challenge, uh, if not a problem, to go back to some kind of normal where they were attractive for international students, for national students, etc. So I, I think that that also has an impact on international student mobility afterwards mm. and that um, universities like uh, the Norwegian ones and the University of Oslo will become more attractive uh, than they even uh, are already and that we, in the, let's say, the, the global rankings... Also, we'll see that they will be dominated more by uh, East Asian, Northern European, and um, some remaining uh, top universities from Australia, Britain, and the U.S., but that a large part of the universities that are now at the top from these latter countries, they will have uh, difficulties of going back to this normal situation.
0: Do so you think that Norwegian university actually can increase the ranking on international Uh, For example, the Shanghai index?
1: Well, uh, yes, but of course these rankings are are just, um, let's say, um, these rankings are based on on indicators that are challenged and we have to be careful in putting too much uh, weight on these rankings. But I think overall, apart from the rankings, the attractiveness, the strength, the um, productivity of uh, also Norwegian universities will increase. I would not be surprised if in the coming two, three years, we will see a mobility uh, away from England and the U.S. and Australia and maybe some other countries towards more safer countries mm-hmm. like um, like Norway. And that it will be, um, let's say, there will be a, an opportunity for Norwegian universities to strategically recruit uh, students, uh, international students, once they're um, the situation is over and if the international student mobility comes back to some kind of level where it is now but especially staff uh, top researchers uh, so um, I think that universities like Oslo are in the process of identifying strategic profile areas where they really uh, would be able to, to profit from the crisis yeah. um, and I know it's, a, it's a, not a very Norwegian sentiment uh, in this to profit from uh, problems that others have, but I, I'm sure that quite a lot of, of top academics from um, <clears throat> especially the countries that I mentioned, the Anglo-Saxon countries, are looking for opportunities to continue their, their work uh, in a safer environment like
0: Norway. But do you think it could be somewhat important to, pre- to prevent Norwegian government uh take tuition fees from international students? Well, at the moment, there's
1: there's no chance that yeah. we will get a serious discussion on tuition fees in Norway. I think that's good, uh, given where we are, and uh, there's no need at the moment to start the discussion on tuition fee. I think uh, the the way in which the Norwegian higher education system is governed, funded, organized, it's not perfect, but it works. And you see, in a situation of crisis, the impact on Norwegian higher education is less. Than the impact, for example, in the UK or in Australia, where there's a more, well, a, 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 um, a more vulnerable environment for universities because of the of the competition. So I think, in that sense, that um, this is not the time to start a discussion on tuition fees. And I think that Norway could instead uh, try to profit from the fact that uh, it still has a very good uh, functioning higher education system without charging tuition fees to students.
0: So it will be an advantage when it come to crisis like this COVID-19 to have a public-funded higher education system instead of more market-based or liberalism-based uh, funding system? Is that uh, the essence, or how can well, you frame it? Yes and no. On um, the
1: one hand, the top universities, the pri- like the private ones in the U.S., with uh, their huge endowments, they are still on top. and, and they, Of course, they are affected, but... Uh, It's not that that they will now be taken over by publicly funded universities. But I do think in in the uh, arena where, for example, the University of Oslo is located of uh, European uh, public um, research-intensive universities, that our funding system in the national context is an advantage. So in times of crisis... Um, As a public university, it's much better to be in Norway than to be in the UK, for
0: example. And also I was thinking about uh, a little issue when it comes to Norwegian students who study abroad, for example, take their uh, psychology major or the medical major and then come back to Norway and work here. Uh, And we save a lot of money in Norway to educate medical doctors outside of the country in the abroad instead of in Norway. And then we have the best heads from around the world coming here to Norway because we don't have tuition fees, for example. Uh, is it a little bit selfish and a lack of solidarity to just <laughs> have all uh, take all the work of educate, for example, medical doctors to abroad? and then take the best heads from auto educational systems uh, here in Norway well first
1: of all uh, most uh, medical students that um, are Norwegian study in Norway yeah. so of course uh, there's a number of Norwegian students in medical programs abroad <clears throat> but that's um, let's say an um an a possibility which is um which is um Related to the support structure that the Norwegian society has. there There isn't a country in the world which has uh, as good a support structure for students who want to go abroad than Norway. Mm. Anyone in Norway who wants to study abroad um, and is accepted at the university of his or her preference will be supported by Lonekas. Yeah. Mm. Um, but... Um, the, the the question whether it's selfish um, to uh, to have no tuition fee and uh, hope for the best students in the world to come to Norway. I mean, we can be naive and say um, uh, we we uh, we we in Norway support um, the rest of the world and we uh, stimulate um, an, an end of brain drain, but that's let's say, not the way the world works. There is, let's say, a need to find a balance between uh, individual preferences and individual decision-making and uh, national uh, societal needs. So the Norwegian um, uh, policy includes, for example, Nurehet, which is aimed at uh, um, developing capacity in the South in universities and higher education. It um, includes... Uh, Also, in other ways, um, uh, collaborations with universities around the world which allow um, students to move back and forth. So I think uh, suggesting that uh, Norway is moving in a direction where it selfishly um, uh, welcomes the best students uh, and uh, tries to uh, recruit the best academic heads and then forgets about the rest of the world, I don't think we're in that situation. But... um, um overall i think the the, um, the uncertainty now is large we don't know what the situation will look like once the crisis is over norway is positioned relatively well in this its higher education system is functioning rather well the funding is not threatened the number of national students uh is is increased um so Overall, higher education is functioning well. And then we have what we were discussing right now, this international situation where a number of countries that have um, been very successful uh, through a more competitive way of organizing higher education to attract top students and staff from around the world, research funding from the EU, etc. These countries now face the disadvantage of the decisions they made in the past. Well, Norway now faces the advantages of uh, its decision not to introduce tuition fee and continue to have a high uh, level of, of basic uh, public funding for higher education. So I don't think it's selfish to, yeah. uh, to, to profit from that. Um, uh, but, of course, um, we have to make sure that it doesn't lead to the kind of... Uh, negative uh, outcomes that you were referring to. Uh,
0: we have talked about a lot now, Peter Massen, uh, and I was wondering how can we sum this up? Uh, how will the consequences be for the future of higher education and what do we see now? How can we understand it better?
1: Mm-hmm. First of all, this is an, a unique crisis. We have not seen a crisis like this before where around the world practically all universities and, and other higher education institutions have been closed for students and for staff. So we're in the middle of, of, of this crisis, and we don't know exactly uh, what will happen afterwards, what will be the new normal. There are new, there's a number of, of trends we can see, like um, the impact on internationalization, student mobility, especially student mobility from outside the EU towards the EU, including Norway, has come to practically to a standstill. Um, overall, the international dimension of higher education is seriously affected, and we don 't know what, what will happen afterwards, whether students are again interested in moving uh, very far away to enroll in higher education or whether there will be uh, other practices that develop here, whether, for example, students international students are staying closer at home. So that's that's definitely an area where we was where we uh, already see, but uh, can can um, be expecting to see uh, major impacts. Then, what we also can see is that the global higher education landscape is changing, and that we will not go to the situation uh, again uh, before where the competitive higher education systems are doing better and are leading the way. Uh, I think Norway and other countries have learned that um, the, the way we are funding and organizing higher education, there's a number of maybe disadvantages, but also large advantages. What we also can see is the, the shift to online education, the use of digital technologies, which was um, part of higher education, but we haven't uh, used um, all the potential that's there. Now we're forced to uh, to offer online education, And that allows us to learn what works, what doesn't work, so that when we go back to uh, a balance between traditional ways of teaching and learning and the use of digital technologies, that we have a better understanding of their impacts on the learning outcomes of students. What is also an interesting area is the relationship between higher education and work and the way that we, uh, again, also in this crisis, see that uh, many people who have lost their jobs uh, because of the crisis that they are looking at higher education and the opportunities to to develop new skills, new competencies. Um, That can be through uh, degree work, but also special courses, Uh, lifelong learning has been mentioned as an area which is also seriously affected by uh, and and, um, become more politically important by this crisis. Also there we see the role of universities clearly. So all in all, major crisis, um, huge impact, we will um, be able to, to tell more in the in the coming uh, 16, 18, 24 months, also dependent on, um, for example, the vaccine and uh, the extent to which travel opportunities will will return. Because one, I mean, one issue we haven't even touched upon is uh, the um, uh, climate change and uh, the growing um, uh, discovery also in research. Of that uh, online um, online uh, communication can replace uh, traditional physical meetings. So I think that that also there we can see a change where, let's say, this short-term visit for one or two days for a meeting or um, in a seminar in another country, they will be replaced by um, uh, online uh, communication.
0: Yeah, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with us, Speedmaster. We really appreciate it. So thank you. You're welcome.